Hey, friends, before we get going, we are super excited to announce our 2019 live tour. Yes, we're still live, and we're going to come prop ourselves up on stage in front of you in cities around the country and Canada. That's right. Everyone, tickets go on sale this Friday at 10 a.m., your local time, wherever these cities are. And we're going to kick things off in the great city of Chicago yeah. on July 24th at the Harris Theater, followed the next night at the Danforth Theater in Toronto, Canada on July 25th. Yep. Then we're going to take a month-long nap and wake up. And on Thursday, August 29th, we're going to take ourselves to Boston, Mass. at our beloved Wilbur Theater. The next night, we're going to a new city, first time ever, in Portland, Maine, at the State Theater. I'm so excited about that one. Me too. And then, Chuck, we're going to take a nap for another full month. Wake up again, dust ourselves off, and go to Orlando, Florida for the first time ever. We're going to be at Plaza Live. Yeah, man. First Florida show, and then we are finishing up that mini leg in New Orleans. Yep. Thursday, October 10th at the Civic Theater. We're returning, so prepare the city for partying, everybody. That's right. And we're going to wrap it up, at least for now, at our beloved Bell House in Brooklyn, New York, for three shows, October 23rd, 24th, and 25th. Again, folks, tickets for all these shows go on sale this Friday 10 a.m. your local time, and just go to all of these venue websites for ticketing. Yep. Thank you for coming to see us in advance, everybody. We are excited. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh. There's Chuck. There's Josh. Not me twice. There's Chuck. <laughs> Guest producer Josh is back in the house. Yeah, and there's little Chuck in your pocket. <laughs> Remember little Elvis? I was just about to say that. <laughs> that you so got good. that right, Tiny E. Oh, man. What a great sketch. It really was. That was Nicolas Cage, wasn't it? Yeah, man. Did you ever see Mandy? Yes, it was terrible. I don't care what anybody else says. Did you it hate it? Terrible, terrible movie. Yeah, Noel and I talked about it on Movie Crush. He's seen it like four times. Thinks it's the best thing ever. Come on, no. And he was like, people either love it or hate it. And I was like, actually, I was kind of in the middle. Were you really? Yeah, I mean, I told him young Chuck, like 22-year-old college Chuck, sure. would have probably liked it a lot more. Yeah. But today, Chuck was kind of like, eh, I get it. Like, sure. Sure. Parts of it were fine. Sure. To me, <laughs> spending an hour doing character development. Uh-huh. But not successfully making you care about the characters yeah, just point. really irked me. Wow, you had structural issues. Yeah. <laughs> that was really the big thing. I uh, also thought Linus Roach was very, very odd for casting, but. Who's that? Which one was The he? main bad guy, the oh, cult leader. That was weird. Very weird. I don't, I don't even know him, but I He's just. He's from Law and Order. Uh, and like some other stuff. You, you got to get into Law and Order. <laughs> See how much you're missing out on? That's becoming a bit. So, <laughs> did we start recording yet? I think so. Oh, I already welcomed everybody to the podcast. That's right. Um, so, Chuck, we are, this is some true crime stuff we're getting into here. That's right. But we, I feel like we need to set the the tone, right? Because this isn't, this didn't happen just yesterday. This happened way back in 1982 in Chicago, Illinois. Mm-hmm. And I remember this. Yeah, Even though too. I was like six at the time. It was one of my favorite years. Because of this? No. <laughs> oh. The opposite of that, right? Mainly because of movies. What was so great about 1982? Look it up, man. Well, I was kind of hoping E.T., Blade Runner. Oh, like, really? Yeah. Okay, so, yeah, some, that was Some a of good the best year. movies. Do you know I didn't see Blade Runner until I was 40? 
<laughs> That's not true. Yes, it is. Oh, really? Yes. The original. The original Blade Runner. Huh. Did you like it? Yeah, it was good. I like yeah. the second one, too. You're like, but they spent way too much time on character development. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and the, I just did a little poking around about 1982, and it was um, it was a good year for an 11-year-old, but it was an uneasy time mm-hmm. in America. Why? Uh, well, for a bunch of awful things happened that year, uh, and I don't know if it was any more or less than other years, but uh, Air Flight 90 crashed in the, into the uh, Potomac River. Remember that? No. In Washington, D.C., the plane crashed in the river. Didn't it hit a bridge? Maybe, but uh, there was there was like a daring, icy river rescue. Oh, really? Yeah, seventy eight people died though. That same day, a metro train in D.C. derailed, killed wow. three people. Jeez. Uh, February was when Wayne Williams was convicted. Gotcha. And that was just the end of a lot of unease, you know, for years. Yeah. Uh, Klaus Van Bulaw was found guilty uh, of attempted murder of his wife in March. I didn't make it to the end of Reversal of Fortune, so I honestly <laughs> didn't know what happened to Klaus. Guilty. Okay. Uh, in June uh, was the murder of Vincent Chen, who was a Chinese-American who was beaten to death uh, by two men in Michigan thinking he was a Japanese and they were, like, stealing his their auto work. Oh, my God. I know, right? Uh, and then July 9th, Pan Am flight 759 goes down in Louisiana, uh, Louisiana, kills all 146 people on board, plus eight more on the ground. And then in September, early September, <laughs> please stop this. was when, I know, man, remember planes used to just crash yeah. a lot. Yeah, that never happens now. Uh, not as much, but yeah, weird that we're recording this <laughs> in the midst of more plane crashes. Yeah. And then early September was when that uh, paper boy in Iowa, Iowa was kidnapped and never seen again, Johnny Gosh. Mm, I don't know that one. That was a big deal, too, because it was, you know, the paper boy, and there was this false story about a a pedophile ring Mm -hmm. from politicians, and that turned out not to be true, but he was never found again. So basically everything that's going on today is just a rehash of 1982, it sounds like. I just remember being about that age, and they're just, the nightly news sort of just being a horror show and not politically speaking. I, you know, like I, real bad incidences occurring. Well, yeah, plane crash <clears throat> like just about at any age like that'll that'll bring you down mm-hmm. if you see that on the news for sure. Yeah. Um because you know, when you get on a plane you think, huh, maybe this plane will go down while I'm on it and that yeah. would be terrible. <laughs> Although I wasn't flying at 11. So, all of those things you just mentioned, mm-hmm. sweep them totally off the table. Okay. Because come the end of September of that year, Nothing else mattered but what we're about to talk about now. That's right. Nothing. Nothing <laughs> came close to taking the over the national psyche, like the deaths of seven people mm-hmm. uh, beginning on September 29th, 1982 in Chicago, Illinois. Yeah, and one of the articles I read about this, I mean, are we trying to keep it a secret? It's a show title, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think they're going to have to figure it out. So, yeah, go ahead. The Tylenol murders? Yeah. Okay. You're like, oh, no, no. <laughs> but that's that comes up in part two. Uh, oh, yeah, this is a two-parter Yeah, as well. So buckle in, everybody. Uh, so I was doing some research, though, and I saw one article that said something about, you know, the first domestic terror incident in the United States that nobody's ever heard of. I was like, what? Who hasn't heard of this? A millennial wrote that headline. 
Well, I have to say, Josh, on the way in here, yeah, I told him Tylenol murders, and he went, huh? He goes, what's Tylenol? <laughs> you old codger? We should probably say what Tylenol is, huh? Oh, okay. Yeah, I guess just in case you are a millennial and you've never heard of Tylenol, but Tylenol was and still is an over-the-counter pain reliever. It's yeah. like you have aches and pains, and apparently what's crazy, people would take Tylenol Whatever was wrong with them. Right. Because now you can go get like, you know, aspirin and, and um, you get aspirin Advil and, and Aleve. There was no Aleve back then. That True. was a 90s drug. There's way more over-the-counter pain relievers now than there were back then. Back then, Tylenol was basically it. Yeah. It's acetaminophen, which is different than aspirin. And I think a lot of people just think those are interchangeable. Right. The reason I believe Tylenol became so big is because aspirin upsets a lot of people's stomachs. Right. Tylenol does not, or it's not supposed to. And that's why it came out of nowhere and just took over the aspirin market. I think by 1982, Tylenol had 37% of the market. That's pretty good. Cornered. Yeah. Yeah. Almost half. Especially since, like, some of the, the other, like, aspirins have been around since, you know— 19th century. Right. So it makes sense then that when a little girl named Mary Ann Kellerman uh, complained that she had a sore throat and wasn't feeling too good at like 7 a.m. on uh, Wednesday, September 29th, 1982, her parents said, just take an extra strength Tylenol and go back to bed. Man. For a sore throat. For can you imagine like the guilt? Oh, no. These parents feel. Well, don't blow it. We haven't said what happens to Mary Ann Kellerman yet. I think everybody knows. Uh, yeah, she got up, said I'm sick. Mm-hmm. He said, take this. Uh, the father said he heard her go into the bathroom and close the door, uh, then heard something drop and went to the door saying, are you okay? You're okay. Uh, no answer. Open the door. And there she is on the floor um, taken to the hospital but died very quickly. Yeah, probably was dead when she went to the hospital. It was pronounced there. Um and she, they suspected, and this is just a little 12-year-old girl, mm-hmm. a middle school girl, went to Jane Addams Middle School. Um, she, They think she died of a stroke. That's what they thought happened to yeah. her. They were just so baffled that they're like, it had to have been a stroke. That's the only thing that can come on like this. Yeah, so that's 7 a.m. Just The day is just beginning, and one atrocity has already happened. Yeah, this is a this is a very bad day. In the history of Chicago, September 29th, 1982. Yeah, absolutely. And it started early. Uh, Adam Janis, who uh, will detail his story, but put a pin in this one, too, because he figures in even more prominently mm-hmm. in a minute. But uh, a little bit later that same morning, uh, this gentleman, Adam Janis, he's 27 years old and lived in Arlington Heights, another Chicago suburb. And he died. Uh, and they think that this is a heart attack. Uh, He complained of chest pains after he had driven his daughter's neighbor home from school, Mm -hmm. uh, said, I'm going to take the day off, comes home, eats a little lunch, takes two extra strength Tylenol uh, that he bought from a local drugstore, collapses in front of his wife. Mm -hmm. And by, you know, a few minutes later when the paramedics arrive, he was dead. Right. And again, like you said, they said heart attack because he'd been complaining of chest pains, which had nothing to do with it. Right. But just like Marianne Kellerman took an extra strength Tylenol for a sore throat, he took some extra strength Tylenol for some chest pains. This is just what people did back then. Yeah. And that's what complicated it a little bit at first um, was that, you know, if you take the Tylenol, it means you felt bad already. Mm-hmm. 
So obviously, you know, they're going to be saying like, wait a minute, chest pains or sore right. throat. Like, right. how does that figure in? Yeah. And it didn't. Plus also, what made this even more baffling is that Marianne Kellerman was 12 and healthy. Adam Janus was 27 and healthy. Yeah. And all of a sudden, they just dropped dead. People don't just drop dead. No matter what you see on TV or in the movies or whatever, uh-huh. dropping dead inexplicably is a really bizarre thing when yeah. you're a healthy person. It yeah, just doesn't rare. happen. Uh, next, we have uh, Mary Reiner. Same day. Same day. This is still all on the same day. Um, she's 27 years old. She's feeling a little dizzy. She had just come home from the hospital uh, after having given birth to her fourth kid a couple of days before. Yeah. Super, super sad. All of these are, obviously. But being a just a brand new mom for the fourth time mm-hmm. is just so tragic. Uh, and then by 345, she was so ill, she was rushed back to the hospital and, again, died very, very quickly. Yeah, and like Adam Janus collapsed in front of his wife, she collapsed in front of her young eight-year-old daughter. One of her children <laughs> saw her. Um, and, yeah, when she was taken to the hospital, they pronounced her dead as well. This is mid-afternoon. Mary McFarland was up next. She was over in um, the, uh, the suburb of Lombard, and she worked at an Illinois Bell phone center, where do you remember, like, you'd go get your phone, like the rotary phone, the, you know, you'd actually lease your phone? I, I, I wasn't involved in that process, but we had them in our home. Okay. Well, your parents <laughs> went to I never knew that. Place. I figured they just bought that stuff. No, there was like a store where you would go. It's like the, the phone company's retail store, and you would go and be like, that pink one. It's like smartphones today. Kind of. Same model. Kind of. Um, yeah, I guess so. Uh, but this was with a big clunky rotary phone, and you had to pay extra for the extra long court. Well, Mary McFarland worked in one of these stores, and at about 4 o'clock um, at the Illinois Bell Phone Center, she was she had a massive headache that just came on out of nowhere. And she went in back and got some extra strength Tylenol out of her purse, took a couple of them, and within minutes collapsed in the store. Yeah, she was young as well. She was 31 years old, uh, mother of two. And then, remember, I was talking about Adam Janus a few minutes ago. Um, his family goes to the hospital. Obviously, everyone converges there. Mm-hmm. He passes away. And so the family uh, makes their way home um, to begin mourning and just sort of trying to reconcile what had just happened. Yeah. Uh, his brother, Stanley, who was mm-hmm. only 25, and then his wife, Teresa, who was only 19, are both just overcome and worn out and have headaches. So they're at Adam's house. They go to his medicine cabinet, get out the Tylenol that he took, mm-hmm. completely unknowingly, obviously. Sure. And uh, Stanley hits the ground. Foam comes from his mouth. His eyes roll back in his head. Mm-hmm. Everyone's freaking out. And a few minutes later, his wife collapses. And they call the ambulance. By the time the ambulances get there, uh, I think Stanley died that day and uh, Teresa somehow managed to live a couple of days. Yeah, she hung on, and I, I don't know if, like, her dose was lesser or what, but but she she survived for a couple of days after that. Yeah, I mean, my guess is that uh, there just wasn't as much cyanide in the capsule she took. Right. Did I just give something else away? <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> but the so Stanley took his Tylenol first, and then Teresa took hers, and one of the paramedics noted like, Teresa was the one that called the, the ambulance out to come out for Stanley. And when right. they get there, they're, they're both, like, on the ground. And they're like, what's going on? And one of the paramedics said everything that was happening to the guy happened to the woman, like, a couple minutes later. Right. Like, she was just following him through this process of 
like basically systemic organ failure. And this is the same day that the his brother had passed away. Yep, this is about five, six hours, six hours after uh, Adam Janus had died. Then finally, I know this is all tough to go through everyone. And we almost selected this as our next live show. I'm really glad we it's did. probably a good idea. Because, I mean, can you imagine trying to liven this up with some jokes? I, I thought at the, the whole time, thing, I was like, no, nah, we can do that. But, yeah, the more I got into it, I was like, yeah, this is probably not good live material. Right. We should have a rule of thumb <laughs> that any story that begins with the death of a 12-year-old girl probably is so. not live show material. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, so, finally, we have Paula uh, Prince, Paula Jean Prince. This is a couple of days later. This is not the same day. Uh, this is on Friday evening. Uh, she was a 35-year-old flight attendant, and she was uh, found dead in her apartment after uh, police responded for a welfare check uh, that her sister called in mm-hmm. saying, hey, you know, I know she's a flight attendant and all, but <clears throat> no one knows where she is. Can you go check on her? A welfare checkup. And they finally found her, and she was gone. Yes. It's very, very sad. She was found in her bathroom <clears throat> with a bottle of extra-strength Tylenol still open on the counter. And she, uh, they looked into um, her receipts and found that she had purchased it on Wednesday, September 29th. That's right. Uh, so at the end of this very short span of time in the Chicago area, we have seven people uh, dead. And I feel like that's a good time to take a message break. Yeah? Yeah. All right. Stop. You, you, you know. Stop. 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 You should know. Okay, Chuck. So you said cyanide. How did you know that? Because <laughs> I was 11 years old and I watched the nightly news like all 11 year olds did. You just called it, right? <laughs> just me and Brokaw, <laughs> Dan Rather. Yeah. Koppel. Yep. Who else? That was it. Peter Jennings. He came a little later, but sure. Was he? Yeah. Yeah, he came after somebody. Well, I mean, Cronkite wasn't still around, was he, or was he? Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. I was I was kind of into the news as a kid a little bit. Well, yeah, I mean, that was that was where you got your news back then. Yeah, you would watch the evening news. It's very strange to think about now. Right. With the with the up to the minute news cycle. So, oh yeah, I know how much more innocent things were back then. I know. Um so remove yourself from the benefit of hindsight or the benefit of Dan Rather's insight <laughs> and put yourself in the shoes of the the people in Chicago, right? Yeah. These are five these are seven different deaths. Um I think from five different townships in the greater Chicago area, including Chicago, Paula Prince, the last person to, to die lived in Chicago. Mm-hmm. These people aren't talking these people have no idea what's going on. It's just that there were five, seven separate baffling deaths. You keep saying five. Mm-hmm. You want two few, fewer people to be dead. Yeah, I do. That's good. My wishes aren't working, though. Um, it just so happens that the ambulance, the paramedics that showed up to attend to Mary, uh, Marianne Kellerman, the first girl to die, um, they were just logging everything because it was such a baffling thing. And they logged her Tylenol. Yeah, logged as in collected. Right. Yeah. Uh, Took it as evidence to maybe look into who knows. Sure. But they took the extra strength Tylenol that she had taken, not thinking anything of it, but just basically throwing anything 
at the wall to see what stuck. Yeah, I'm sure the dad was like, you know, she went in, took some Tylenol, and dropped dead. Right. So it probably made sense, even though it's just Tylenol, to say, like, well, hey, let's at least take this in. Yes. And that Tylenol. that Right. You know? Because that bottle of Tylenol uh, made its way into the hands of a uh, medical examiner um, whose name was... Michael Schaefer. And Michael Schaefer... <laughs> tested the Tylenol and was rather surprised to find that some of the capsules had not Tylenol in it, but 65 milligrams of potassium cyanide. Yeah. And it takes about 50 milligrams to kill a healthy adult. Yeah. I mean, some of them, I don't think they were all exactly the same, but some of them had been completely emptied of any acetaminophen mm-hmm. and completely filled with cyanide. With cyanide, right? Yeah. I mean, it was it was someone intent on for sure, killing people. Yes, because cyanide is no joke. No. It's a it's a really, really small molecule, um, and it normally attaches to metals outside of the body, which is why you have potas- or minerals, I guess, which is why you have potassium cyanide. Right. Um, when it goes into the body, when you ingest it, however you ingest it, whether it's from a Tylenol capsule or um, breathing cyanide gas like they used to use to execute people with. Yeah, like they stopped using it for executions because it was such a brutal death. Yeah, it's a very cruel, yeah. painful way to die. Um, in the body, it detaches from its its mineral or metal, and it attaches to a protein in the body called um, cytochrome C oxidase. Which doesn't sound like it'd be a big problem, but it turns out that that's about the worst protein that cyanide could attach itself to because we really need cytochrome C oxidase to breathe. Yeah. Basically, it. I mean, this sounds like such a cruel thing because it's just rapid cell death. Mm-hmm. And it's not like your throat closes up and you can't breathe. Right. Like you're inhaling oxygen mm-hmm. and you've, you are technically taking breaths. Mm-hmm. But the oxygen is not getting in the cells. No, it's not because that C or that cytochrome C oxidase is what helps transport the oxygen and and allows the oxygen to be used for energy. Yeah. So if the potassium is clinging to it, the oxygen can't. It just stays in the bloodstream and it doesn't get used by the cells. And since your central nervous system is the most oxygen-hungry system in your entire body— It does a lot of work. It starts to shut down first. And when your brain and your spinal cord start shutting down, all sorts of things happen. Your lungs start shutting down. Your heart— God bless it, keeps beating for minutes after the rest yeah, of your body shut down. It can. So you're not technically dead. They're not sure exactly how long the um, pain and, and excruciation of dying from cyanide lasts, but they think you're probably conscious and aware and freaked out for about a minute at least, and your heart may continue beating for three or four minutes after that. So it's not a pleasant death at all. No, I mean, you're you're gasping for air, you're breathing in air, nothing's happening. Mm-hmm. Like I said, um, Stanley Janus, he was foaming at the mouth and his eyes rolled back in his head in front of his family. It's just like, it's awful, like writhing on the floor, mm-hmm. uh, gasping for air, you're breathing, but it's not doing anything. It's just, I can't imagine anything more horrifying. Right, because your central nervous system is kind of falling out of its, um, out of control or rhythm. Convulsions are usually a a hallmark of cyanide poisoning. And then you turn bright red at the end of it. Yeah. A Your cher- skin. A cherry red, they said, because when your body has gotten rid of oxygen to your cells and the oxygen becomes depleted, um, your your skin kind of turns like a, a rusty brownish red. 
But because it can't unload that oxygen when you're dead, it stays a bright red and your skin turns bright red. And then the other real telltale sign is your breath will smell a bit like almonds. Yeah, I mean, not a bit. I mean, these bottles supposedly were really pungent with bitter almond. And unless you know what that means, then you're probably not clued in, you know? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have known <laughs> right, sure. if I opened a bottle of Tylenol and it smelled like bitter almond. I'd probably be like, "Huh, right? It's, it's a nice smell, actually." Yeah, I like this Tylenol. Hmm. Yeah, I guess they have a, a new almond flavor. Awful. So Michael Schaefer, the medical examiner, has just realized that this this little girl has been poisoned, but he he knows nothing about these other deaths. Yeah, there's nothing like that. Um, th- it's not entirely clear how everything became connected or who connected it. But what I find just particularly astonishing is that within just a few hours, by that evening, by the evening of September 29th, people were saying there's something up with the Tylenol in these mysterious deaths that have been going on all around Chicago. Yeah, not. I mean, we'll get into the, the dragnet they cast, but within a few days, they had kind of solved everything but who did it and how it may have happened. Who done it. Who done it. Right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, very quickly they figured out the Tylenol, and there are a couple of different stories um, on, like you said, on who, who was the first person to point this out. Um, one story is that a reporter for the City News Bureau in Chicago was doing the reporter thing and doing some deep diving and investigating mm-hmm. and called up a deputy coroner and said, hey, I think this is what's happening. They told the police. Uh, another story is that two people who didn't know each other kind of came together uh, independently to um, let people know. One was a fire captain named uh, Philip Capitelli. I knew it. I knew you were going <laughs> to do that. There was like a 90% chance. <laughs> you know why? Because we got a lot of support from people that wrote in saying, I'm Italian and I love it. Keep doing it. Right. And only one guy who hated it. But ironically, it was fire captain Philip <laughs> Capitelli <laughs> who right. had written in and said no. So he, uh, here, here was his deal. His... Um, his mother-in-law was friends with Mary Kellerman, the victim's mother. Yeah, the first of the little girl. And she said, hey, would you mind looking into this? Because I'm friends with this little girl's mom. And it's weird that she dropped dead at sure. age 12. And he's a fire captain, and they're all connected to, you know, the police and to the sure. medical community. Everybody knows you want something done, ask a fire <laughs> captain. I would. Sure. Um because they'll bust into the room with an axe know, and get right. everybody's attention. <laughs> um, so he's he's investigating, and then there's this uh, there's a nurse named Helen Jensen, and she I don't do you know why she was so into this case? Was she just she a do gooder? No, no, no. She was the um, uh, public health nurse for Cook County, I believe. Oh, okay. So she had an official designation to yes. investigate. Yes, but unfortunately, no one would listen to her because this is 1982 and she was a nurse. Right. Even though she was like a public health director, she was still a nurse and people wouldn't listen to her. And she recalled in an oral history I read about this yeah. that she was stomping her feet out of frustration, saying like, there's something wrong with the Tylenol. Like the the Tylenol is behind all this and people wouldn't listen to her. So Amazing. Su- supposedly she and Philip Capitelli got together and um, joined forces. Right. And I guess we're able to convince everybody that, no, there's something wrong with the uh, with the Tylenol. And by this time, people started talking. Sure. And, you know, the, the idea that Michael Schaefer had identified Tylenol, I don't know if it was the same day or the day after or something like that, but all this is within 
a span of 36, 48 hours tops. Yeah, it was really fast. That all of this is going on, that the dots are being connected. Right. <clears throat> so uh, then what follows is um, Cook County's Deputy Chief Medical Examiner, Dr. Edmund Donahue, holds a presser. I've either watched this one or one of the other ones. Like, I remember specifically seeing this press conference on the you news. probably saw Jane Burns. That would have been the <clears throat> the nationwide one, I guess. Yeah, and I was like, how would that have been nationwide? And then I looked it up. WGN was a superstation starting in 1980. Oh, you know it, man. So everybody saw it because WGN could broadcast nationwide by 1982. I, I watched Cubs games as sure. a kid just because it was on. Yep. <laughs> that was it. Like that and Braves games were all you could yeah, see. Yeah, man. So Dr. Donahue um, has a presser, a local presser. Um, of course, there is panic initially. Yeah, he scares the S out of everybody because <laughs> he comes out of nowhere and says, stop taking the Tylenol. Oh, yeah. Sure. And so anyone, I mean, imagine how many people in Chicago had taken Tylenol within two hours of that press conference. Right. And are thinking like, should I go to the hospital? Right. And as a matter of fact, um, the poison control lines for basically every, in every city where somebody saw this started to light up oh, yeah. right after that. And people were like, I just took Tylenol. Am I okay? Or gave my kid. Yeah. Like, can you imagine? And the the what came to be the pat response was, if you are still standing and talking to us, you're probably okay. <laughs> Which is sort of a double-edged sword. Right. It's like, don't worry, you die super fast. Right, kind of. <laughs> so just relax. So just hold the line for five minutes, and then <laughs> I'm going to come back and check on you. And if you're still talking, you're fine. Oh, man. Um, all right, so then uh, the Chicago mayor's office gets involved. Like you said, Mayor Jane Byrne, she uh, gets uh, says, you know, print a bunch of flyers, mm -hmm. print them in a bunch of languages. Maybe on goldenrod and cornflower blue. Sure, why not? Really catch people's attention. Uh, she had police drive through um, with loudspeakers on their car, Basically, literally saying, yeah. like, don't take Tylenol. Reenacting that scene from the Blues Brothers where they're driving. I was thinking Slacker. That's funny. Two different movies. But do you remember they're driving through in the police car yeah. with the loudspeaker talking about their, their show? Yeah. Same as Slacker. I don't remember. I, don't, I guess I didn't make it to the end of Slacker either. Mm, it was in the middle-ish. It was no days and confused, huh? <laughs> oh, just different movies. Okay. Um, so they're they're posting flyers. Cops are driving around, blaring it through neighborhoods. Uh, <laughs> and then she has uh, a press conference. She has all Tylenol removed from the Chicago area. She calls for it. Well, sure. She didn't go around <laughs> with her her basket. Right. No, I'm not a hundred percent clear if she was actually able to demand that the Tylenol be. Removed. I think she was more warning. Yeah, I mean, I, I doubt if there was any law she could invoke. I wonder, though. Seems well, like you would want afterward, something like that. I would know? imagine. Yeah. That's, you know, we'll talk about that later. Okay. So um, the TV and the radio, uh, you know, obviously everyone picks this up, not just in Chicago or the United States. It goes worldwide. Yeah. And so, you know, there's people in Europe and Asia pulling Tylenol off the shelves. Yeah. So this is a big deal. And there was a lot of attention lavished on this. There was a poll that was taken the next month in October that found that 90%, and this was in cities all over the country, that found that 90% of respondents were aware of this Tylenol poisoning story. Yeah. Some, uh, some press agency, like a news clipping service, said that it's the number of, the number of stories dedicated to it were second 
only to the number of stories dedicated to the assassination of JFK. Wow. That's how big this story became overnight. And again, one of the reasons why is because everybody took Tylenol for everything all the time. That's just what you did. It was just something everyone took. And that same product was now killing people. So the most chilling part of all of this to me, and this is all chilling, uh, may be the copycat stuff. Mm-hmm. Because almost immediately, um, copycat incidences started popping up all over the country. Um, there were 270 reports of product tampering in the month after 36 were, quote, hardcore true tamperings. <laughs> and that's what's most chilling to me is, like, there were that many people, at least 36. Let's go on the low end. 36 people across the country that wanted to kill people mm-hmm. and just saw an idea and were like, oh, that's what I'll do now. I should have thought of that myself. I mean, that's scary, man. Yeah. What's What's scary but also infuriating is that there's such – Terrible self-starters that they had to be a copycat murderer in that. (laughs) Right. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Like, it's bad enough that they're trying to kill somebody. Yeah. Randomly kill somebody, anonymously kill somebody. They didn't even think of it themselves. I know. That is a pathetic murderer right there. (laughs) It's pretty pathetic. Put my foot down. Uh, Excedrin, extra strength Excedrin capsules um, were found poisoned with mercuric chloride. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that almost killed a man in Colorado. Uh, His name was William Sinkovich. And he got he had liver and kidney failure, but he did survive. Uh, this one gets me. So n- more than one person thought, "Oh well, you know, people spray and like drop things in their eyes and nose. I'll put acid in there." So tampered Sinex and tampered Visine both turned up after they had burned people with acid. Chemical burn up your nose. Unbelievable. Yeah, that's a bad one. So food was also on the list of things being tampered with. Um, orange juice, chocolate milk, uh, very high-profile incident with ballpark hot dogs. Yeah. They pulled a million pounds of wieners off the shelves. And ran them through a metal detector. Yeah, because this was a scare, All of, you know, the old urban legend of razor blades and Halloween candy. Mm-hmm. I don't. Did they actually find pins and needles and things for yes. sure? Yes. Okay, because I thought that had literally never happened. It hadn't. It was an urban legend that became true. Okay. But nothing in in the wieners. No, some boys, I think in Detroit, claimed to have found razor blades in their ballpark wieners. And like you said, a million pounds were recalled. And then the boys were like, wow, we were just kidding. Wow. Yeah. And ballpark, we'll we'll talk about how ballpark was treated after that. But they were put on shoulders and carried around for how great they handled everything. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, there were a lot of hoaxes. There were a lot of... um, uh, tips called in about other tampering, uh, and it had a really, like, it. if the purpose of this was to induce panic and fear and, and terror, then it absolutely worked. Absolutely. Should we take another break? I think so, man. We're going to come back and talk about the investigation. Stop. You, you, you know. Stop. 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 You should know. Okay, Chuck, um, I, I also want to point this out. Time magazine, you know how I'm like super into uh, like going back and reading contemporary news articles about an event? Yeah. This one, I mean, 
it's all over the place. But Time wrote about the copycat incidents back in 1982, and they said that the copycats were trying to, quote, emulate their demonic hero, the still unknown poisoner. Their demonic hero. <laughs> That's what the journalists from Time decided to go with. That's funny. I, guess, I mean, that seems like a very 2019 thing to write. That's what I'm saying. I feel like we're reverting back to 1982 right now. Are we? I, I guess so. After that intro of yours, I'm now convinced. All right. So everybody's freaked out. There, there are whole towns that canceled Halloween. Mm -hmm. Because remember, this happened like a month before Halloween. And everyone was very scared about candy tampering because of the urban legend. Sure. In some places, it turned out to be true, a self-fulfilling prophecy. There were all these hoaxes. There were all these actual true product tampering, copycats. People were freaked out, and the cops needed to do something. And initially, these seven different deaths in five different towns mm -hmm. in the Chicago area were being treated as five different investigations. Yeah. Um, that didn't last for very long. Within two days, by Friday, by the time Mayor Byrne uh, holds her press conference on WGN, um, what came to be called the Tylenol Task Force was formed. All five of those investigations got folded into not just local investigations, the FBI, the Illinois State Police. Um, FDA, of course. Yeah, the FDA was involved. The, and then the whole thing was led by the Illinois District Attorney's Office, who was the nominal head of the investigation. Yeah, so they figured out pretty quickly that, um, you know, like I said earlier, they cast their dragnet. They come up with about a 50-mile radius of where all this stuff was uh, bought and sold and go investigate drugstore after drugstore. And they did find more uh, more bad Tylenol that are still sitting on the shelves, uh, thankfully. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to skim past that. They found more Tylenol waiting to be bought. That's right. Like just sitting there like, <laughs> hey, come by me within two days of, of these first deaths. That's right. These first murders. We keep calling them deaths. These were murders. That's right. Uh, and they name their their case. There's There are always code names for all these cases. This one ranks pretty low, in my opinion. <laughs> Timers, T-Y-M-U-R-S, short, obviously, for Tylenol murders. The, at the very least, the S should have been a Z. Timers. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Just give it a little flavor. Agreed. Uh, so the cops are... Um, there, there was some confusion about how this went down because they're trying to figure out, you know, did it happen at the factory? Did it happen after the factory? Right. What's the supply chain like? Well, that's a, that's huge. It's like the crux of the investigation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Where did the tainting occur? Yeah. So they found out that all of the containers were from lot number MC2880, mm -hmm. uh, which was pushed out in August. Uh, again, this was the end of September. Yep. Uh, in states east, all states east of the Mississippi, plus the Dakotas, Nebraska, and a bit of Wyoming. Just a just a touch of Wyoming for flavor. That's right. Like the Z for that mesquite flavor. Right. Uh, however, they were from different production plants, and they were sold in different drugstores. Which is weird. It's tough to wrap your head around that because it's the yeah. same lot. Right. But they came from different plants. Right. And it turns out Tylenol has also a really weird, convoluted distribution network. I think that's every company. Okay. I so, have a friend that works in supply chain management, and I was like, huh? 
So supposedly they'll they'll take boxes and open them up and repackage them in smaller boxes, and it happens at like different different companies at different points around the country. Yeah, it's pretty complicated. It is from from a product from factory to your mouth. Right. Like what happens to kind of everything. Yeah. Um, I would think simplicity would be safer. Much. You know. Probably not cheaper though. You're probably right. So what they finally figured out was. Here's what we think happened is this stuff was not tainted at the factory. This stuff was not tainted in the supply chain. But this stuff was tainted it from the store and then returned back to the store. Right. Because these pills were sold in different stores, which is a big one, because it, it not only could it have been like part of the factory, mm-hmm. it could have been one of the local store's distribution centers where there was somebody messing with it. Right. But since they were sold in Jewel food stores, in Walgreens, and other places too around the Chicago area, that didn't make any sense. It couldn't have just been like the Jewel distribution center. It also, because they were coming from different production plants, it, it really couldn't have been the production plant or the factory where it came from, it had to be, like you said, happening at the stores. Yeah, and there were a lot of initial theories, you know. Was it someone who, like a former disgruntled employee of Johnson & Johnson? Right. Was it someone, uh, was it just a serial killer who just picked Tylenol and wanted to randomly kill people? Right, and this is, that's weird. That's a weird idea at the time. Like, now it just seems normal. Like, yeah, probably. That's sad. But this, but this was, Two years before the uh, San Ysidro McDonald's massacre, which is one of the very w- – one of the next random yeah. killings of people who just happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. This was kind of the first of that, but it was still so new and remote and alien that that's – that didn't seem like a realistic idea at the time. Yeah, some of the other ideas, they thought um, maybe this was someone that was targeting a specific person or people. And then randomly poisoned other people to cover their tracks. Uh, one of the weird, um, one of the weird theories that came out later, after and spoiler alert, we now have tamper-proof uh, medicines. <laughs> I'm sure, everyone's noticed. <laughs> uh-huh. There was one theory that it was someone who had a financial stake in tamper-proof technology. Yeah, I saw something like that too. I don't think there was ever a ton of credence put into that one, but point is. There were a lot – I mean, they were flying blind basically because it was just such an unexpected, odd, random thing. They were basically coming up with kind of any idea they could think of. But the one that the cops settled on and the one that Johnson & Johnson also settled on too because they went back and tested samples from lot MC2880 and found that there was no – no, there was no tainting of the of the lot. Right. Their samples were pure. So the cops and Johnson & Johnson both decided – they settled on what's called the mad poisoner theory. Right. That somebody went around this 50-mile radius in in the Chicago area um, in about seven hours is what the cops calculated it would have taken. Either bought a bunch of Tylenol and then took it back to their house and poisoned it, repackaged it, and then drove around and redistributed it, or went from store to store, went in, bought some Tylenol, took it out to the car, mm-hmm. poisoned it, and then repackaged it and brought it back in. Um, but that it was local and it was specific to Chicago. That was the the mad poisoner theory. And again, why? Still, no one has any idea why. 
Um, it could have been random. They could have been targeting somebody. It could have been a disgruntled Johnson & Johnson employee. But the, the main theory for the Tylenol killings of 1982 in Chicago is the mad poisoner theory. Yeah, and do you know how they tested that mm-hmm. the rest of that lot? How? They got uh, Detective John Pinky McFarland, who had the best drug pinky in all of <laughs> Illinois. Right. And he went around and dipped that pinky in, yeah. touched it to his tongue, yeah. and said, it's good. He's like, I can't feel my face right now. The guy's a legend. Yeah, he's, his, pinky is, his pinky ring is so significant, he can barely lift his <laughs> finger. He only lifts it to test drugs. I told you we'd find some jokes. Sure. So uh, by mid-October, th- this is sort of the, the final bit of part one here. Um, there was another bottle that people – that they found, another tainted bottle. This is so crazy. That was purchased on September 29th, so it fit the bill. And it was a woman who uh, was feeling bad and went to go get that Tylenol. And her sister was like, no, I've got some buffering right here. Just go ahead and take that. Mm-hmm. And the lady presumably said, well – I really prefer acetaminophen, but I guess I'll take an aspirin. She, yeah, her her sister-in-law saved her by offering her bufferin instead. You believe that? She was steps away from dropping dead at a family uh, gathering. Unbelievable. Yeah. And that is a good place to stop, huh? Yeah. So that's part one of the Tylenol murders, or timers with an S. And we're going to come back with part two after this. If you want to get in touch with us in, in the meantime, you can go on to stuffyoushouldknow.com and check out our social links. Or you can send us a good old-fashioned email, 1982 version, to stuffpodcast at iheartradio.com. Stuff You Should Know is a production of iHeartRadio's How Stuff Works. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 